Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to That's Crazy Cast. This is a show where we talk about relationships, trains behaviors, things that don't make sense to us, a lot of 90 Day Fiance, and anything else that makes you want to say, that's crazy. Now, just remember, this is an uncensored, unscripted show, so this may not be suitable for everyone. So with all that said and done, let's start the show. So, hi, I am your host, Matt Hamity. For those of you who are new to the show, um, hi, welcome. Uh, joining me today, the host of Modern American Slave, found wherever you can find podcasts. Um, I want to welcome Nate, Nate Johnson. Uh, I'm sorry, Nate Smith. Wrong, wrong Nate. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I work with Nate Johnson, and I, for some reason that got stuck in my head. I'm sorry for the name, I, and I hope oh, I that's didn't. That's all right. <laughs> I could be um, Nate Johnson for this one. That's a good one. Um, <laughs> you might have a better story. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I've seen uh, stories from Nate Johnson, and they are pretty interesting. So, uh, like I said, I, welcome to the show. I'm uh, glad we can get this rolling. And um, I knew you had some interesting stories. Um, but before that, we get into the serious things, you know. Um, but, yeah, like I said, th- uh, thanks for being on the show. And, um, yeah, so... We found each other on Reddit and yeah, I'm looking for new guests, looking to try to spread out and say, what are you saying? I, I see you, you talk about how uh, some of your interests include photography. Um, do you, do you have anything published? Do you just go out for fun? Do you um, it, just a hobby that you picked up? I mean, how's that, how's that work for you? So some of my earliest memories was actually with my father. Uh, when I was probably five or six years old. And he had one of those cameras that uh, is essentially a medium format camera. And you look down through the top, there's a mirror and it goes through a pinhole type of lens. And uh, I remember playing with this thing, you know, back in 1980 something. And uh, my father, he was actually, uh, we were originally from one of the Eastern European countries where it was under communism at the time. It was before everything fell. And what he would do is, ride on his motorcycle with a sidecar and go to weddings and do photography to make some money on the side. So throughout that time, I remember sitting there in this dark room, he would uh, basically project the pictures onto paper and we would trace them out, me and my sister. And that that was how you were a single dad back then. You would go through and entertain your kids at work. Uh, so that was kind of my introduction to photography, and it, it really stuck with with him and also with me throughout our lives, uh, to the point where you know, I, now I got my half-broken Nikon D800 that I shoot with. Uh, that's what I've been shooting my kids with since they were born. Uh, that stays with my business and everything else, and a couple of the buttons are broke, but the thing still works, and the pictures it pops out are still just absolutely amazing. Yeah, I mean, as long as you can get that image on the sensor, it doesn't matter if yeah, fifty percent of it's broken. Uh, you know, there's there's plenty you can work around. Um, although it's it's funny you talk about Nikon when um, a lot of times uh, when I go out on retreats, there's always the um, uh, who shoots with Canon, who shoots with Nikon. And they, everyone raises their hand for Nikon. I'm sorry for your loss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it, you know the photographers shoot Nikon, the video guys shoot Canon. And there's good reasons for it. You know, the colors are better. They're easier when you're shooting with, with a Canon, with the D800. I just did a cross-country trip, uh, spent about a month in Hawaii. And I'll tell you, the pictures for my phone have better colors than the Nikon. 
but with post you can you can get them back you know the canon just just makes anybody look good taking mm -hmm. a taking pictures yeah i also heard the uh a nikon is a one-handed camera and a canon is a two-handed i'm like i don't quite understand that but sure why not <laughs> <laughs> then you get yeah, these uh, the sony people in there which uh you know they can be uh particular well at least the people i hang out with so the sony's are there i mean yeah. some of the their latest cameras are amazing that's gonna replace the d800 if that ever happens yeah i mean right now uh, ever since this well i use the pandemic as an excuse of why i don't get out and shoot because i i haven't really been out since february march or january so right now all i'm using my camera is is an expensive webcam that's sadly what i'm using <laughs> it for I mean, it does a good job. I mean, it's especially better than the normal one I have, but I got to take it off the tripod and take it out. Um, and, 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 the, and the weird part is that the things I like to take pictures of are uh, you know, macro and stuff that doesn't really have a face or doesn't really move. So there's no real reason to uh, not use it. Just, just being lazy, I guess. No, no, it's uh, mine. As I go through my Lightroom catalog, uh, probably around 2011, 2012, I had somewhere between five and 10,000 pictures a year. And pretty much all of those were from the SLR. And then as I go the last, you know, with every year, it just decreases and decreases. And, and now if I'm actually taking that out, it means there's something planned, something kind of important. But it's uh, it's definitely harder and harder to use it every day when you can just pull out your phone and, and take some pretty awesome pictures these days. Oh yeah, the the way the phone cameras are are coming are just uh, spectacular. They um, there there's still some certain things like with the um, uh, portrait mode and stuff like that that uh, doesn't always capture the picture correctly. Right. I mean, if you know what you're you're looking at, you you can tell that it's a it's a camera for DSLR. But yeah, they uh, that gap is coming a lot closer. So coming a lot closer and doesn't help that I think most of the. Uh, most of the younger folks these days are are all just glued to their phones. Mm -hmm. Barely anybody sits there on their computer browsing Flickr or 500 pics or anything. No, no one's doing that anymore. Now everyone's on Facebook. They got some, you know, lousy compression going through it. So if you take your picture with an SLR with 46 megapixels or, you know, an iPhone 7 uh, with Facebook's compression, it, it's going to be a real challenge to see the technical advantages of those. Yeah, it's really until you get to, you know, actual full-size prints. Uh, right. uh, the the first couple the first couple prints that I did, I, I sent away to like MPix or something, it came back somehow it looks so much better on print than anything, yeah. you know, even like I have a, you know, 1440 monitor or anything like that. It looks it's remarkable how much how how much print adds to it than, you know, digital. Um I was it really, you, really does. I don't know. Have you, uh, uh, have you tried printing at home on any of the larger printers? No. Um, so I'm right now it was only doing it as a hobby. So I can't, um, swallow the, the big price tag of some of those, you know, good printers and the, the printer I have now just, it would just be wasting paper and ink. So, so you can get, uh, and this is kind of some of us online, you know, we figured this out and this is what we've been doing for years. You can go and wait for the Canon rebates. So Canon will do, uh, I don't remember, I think it's the Pro 100 is the current line. Uh, it's a $400 printer that they'll give you, that usually retails for about 300, 350 bucks. And then if you catch it at the right time at B&H, they'll give you a 
uh, gift card that you can use anywhere. It's just a MasterCard. That will also bundle in a bunch of 13 by nine paper, usually like 50 sheets, and the printer is full of ink. So the ink itself is 100 bucks. You get the printer and the paper for $50. So you do that, they have this rebate every three months. I'm on my like fourth or fifth one now. And then what you do is you buy it when you run out of ink, and then you uh, put it on Craigslist for like 50 bucks, 80 bucks or something like that, but you take all the ink out. So you get your ink for half the price, you get the free paper. The last one actually sold for about 120 bucks without the ink. <laughs> yeah, the, the the ink is always is the most expensive part of it. I mean, so yeah, it, it is almost just cheaper just to buy a brand new setup than buy your ink. <laughs> yep, yeah, but that's a good one. People, some people out there doing dozens of them and just reselling the ink and, and making a little bit of money off of it. So it, it's really nice because I got a, a bunch of 13 by nine albums that are print out and it has all the, the family pictures, all the kids pictures and everything. And And when you show a kid, you know, this, this giant picture printed out, it's, it's almost like a new thing to them. They, they, they're, they're used to the phones and the tablets and the TVs. And then you have this thing here physically you can touch. Uh, it, it's really nice. Yeah. It, uh, try to see them like swipe through a physical picture. No, they don't work that way. <laughs> <laughs> That's not my paper. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I, when I, um, I print things up, I'll, I'll hurry up and throw a mat board on it and I'll throw, um, I can protect the sheet on it. And I'm like, here, you can look that through the sheet, you know? Yep. <laughs> Try the same, same subjects. Um, I know you had a kind of an interesting story. I don't know if, uh, how in depth you want to get into it, but I guess, uh, now is a good a time as any, um, I'll let you take the wheel, uh, stop you wherever I need, where, where need be. But, um, uh, yeah, I, from your story that you told me that you emailed me, it uh, definitely uh, spoke to me. Um, so like I said, if you want to share that, go right ahead. Yeah, this is, uh, so uh, the podcast I put out uh, is basically retelling that story uh, from start to finish. And uh, I, I'm, I'm certainly not going to take up 20 hours of, uh, of your podcast to tell that whole story. Uh, and uh, it's it's also kind of my first attempt at making something like that. So uh, doing it over again, there's probably a few other things I would change, but at the same time, uh, I think it I, I think it managed to convey the story. The the whole premise throughout all of this is when somebody said that there's his side to the story, there's her side to the story, and there's the truth somewhere in the middle. That's what my attorney told me when I first ran into the situation. And I thought, you know, that makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, everyone's going to lie a little bit, probably try to try to get their way. And then over the last uh, four years, um, I really learned that that's not really how it is. And I, I took a transition basically from being somebody that was fairly liberal and trusting when it came to politics and, and things in general. And it's caused me to do a complete 180 uh, by the end of this whole thing so in uh, in looking at say all your friends on facebook everywhere else you know you, you can't even tell this story because people don't believe you because when you start talking about it i see the same expressions on their faces that i remember making when people would tell me about conspiracy theories and everything else and i certainly wouldn't believe them 10 years ago uh and now living this situation it uh it's, it's still just is mind boggling to me that this can happen in America. So 
I'm not going to go through necessarily my whole story, but I'll kind of touch upon it. But the, the, the other stories out there are actually even worse than mine and have absolutely dreadful outcomes. And, um, you know, those uh, scare me because I know that there's a, a very good chance that, for example, I have a, another hearing next Monday and there's a, a 50-50 chance I might not go home. Uh, and I kind of made it my mission these last few months to try to get the message out as much as possible because the, the realization I came to is you're not going to move the politicians. It's through public awareness that we'll actually get some kind of a change with this. Let me let me uh, stop you real quick. Uh, when you say not go home, do you mean like locked up or sent back to? You said you're from Eastern Europe or Western European, right? I'm I'm sorry. If uh, I can, Eastern, Eastern? No, I mean locked up. Okay, I, 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 that's what I thought, but I was just making sure I didn't. You know, I didn't know if you're. I, like I said, I don't know the full details of your case, but I don't know if you meant like deported or locked up or. But I'm just trying to clarify that. Thank you. No. <laughs> so I'm I'm gonna ask you a question. If uh, if a wife is making $75,000 a year, I'll take her. The <laughs> husband is making $100,000 a year. And all other things being equal, uh, what do you think is a fair amount of child support and alimony that the wife should receive? The husband has no convictions, has nothing. Um, you said she's 75, he's 100? Yep, after taxes. How well? That's the salary before taxes. How much do you think an after-tax income should the husband pay to the wife for child support and alimony? Um, that's a good question. Um, so I, uh, to give you a little bit of back, my backstory, I don't have children. Um, obviously, I have a mother and a father, stuff like that. But um, if, if you're talking about you know a twenty-five k difference, you know that's kind of maybe where like. I would call that somewhere in the middle, twenty, thirty thousand. It's not like one's doing fifty, fifteen thousand, and one's doing a hundred or two hundred thousand. Uh, somewhere in the middle there that covers some of that uh, wage gap. That's what I would think. So if we so we have, say we have a thirty thousand dollar difference in income, you split that in half, and that's what fifteen thousand. Yeah. yeah. That, so that's fine. And this is not like a quiz on you. This is a, <laughs> this is a question I've posed to other people. And uh, I'm going to tell you what my order says. $4,932 a month after taxes. Wait, can you repeat that number? Because that's sounded... $4,932 a month after taxes. Now, is that per child or is that just total? I mean, that's regardless. Yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, that's uh way more than i thought <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that comes out to be just shy of 50 grand a year uh that's after taxes uh it's about 50 uh or is that 60 i think it's about 60,000 a year after taxes which when you're making 100,000 a year after you take out health insurance and taxes it's 100% of your income mm. and i'm sure that you uh you don't live a hundred percent free of your utilities and all those other expenses. So yeah, that's, right. uh, <laughs> that would <laughs> be the bedroom. dream. Though, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Three bedroom where I live is about uh, 1800 a month. Uh, and you're talking about uh, having to pay bills, mm. uh, car payment, insurance. Uh, there, there's a lot that you're, that you're paying for. 
So, you know, these aren't the exact figures per se. There's some nuance here and there, but, right. you know, the, the reality is uh, in what world does it cost you $5,000 a month to raise three perfectly normal, healthy children, especially when in the divorce, you walked away with 80% of the assets, not 50. Uh, so the house has $150,000 in equity. Uh, there's, there's really all the, most of the debt was, was handed off uh, to the husband. Uh, and this is uh, what's happened. This is the end result of my case. Um, so th does that include custody too? Or would that just be just to pay her and you still don't get to see your kids? Is that, or is it kind of still a, like a mutual uh, joint uh, setup type of thing? Yeah. So the, the custody side of it is uh, in the county that I'm in. Uh, it's uh, about 80 Two percent or seventy-eight percent of the uh, time that the the woman ends up with, uh, you know, the children's time. So the standard order is going to be every other weekend and one dinner during the week. That's the standard order, and it, and it it doesn't matter what the the circumstances are. That's just what they do, and uh, that's pretty much the standard. Yeah, that's. Uh... That's just unbelievable. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, you, I'm sure you both went into it as equally as possible of whether you wanted kids or you didn't and, and it happened. So, you know, you should share responsibility. That's fine. But when stuff happens, uh, you should still, I would think still split up the responsibility, but if, uh, the courts say otherwise, you don't really have a choice. Right. And that, that's the that's that's the real sad part about all of this. You know, you you go through, uh, you prepare. It actually took uh, about two years to get to the actual custody trial, and this is what a lot of the podcast centers around. It's really more about the the custody side of it, the divorce side. I haven't even gotten to. And my whole thought was, you know, in making it, is if people actually saw the truth of what goes on, it, it wouldn't be acceptable. You know, the, this kind of blatant. Uh, bias and corruption uh, on, on such a local level just should not stand. I, I went through the effort of getting the court transcripts. It cost me over $1,000 to get these transcripts. And not only uh, is it incredibly obvious through them uh, that they really don't even consider the law in awarding custody because in, in our particular state, there's certain guidelines and they just fail to follow them. Uh, in addition to that, there's backdoor meetings that happened, and they actually took the children in uh, in the back room where the judge interviewed the children. And that whole entire portion is sealed. So even if somebody wanted to go through and analyze everything and see what the children said, you cannot get those without a court order from the same judges that issue these orders. And in my case, my attorney was able to actually sit in there. And I can tell you the the things that were said had absolutely nothing to do with the divorce, had nothing to do with the children. The things that were asked were about their hair. What? <laughs> <laughs> so the, <laughs> the judge makes us get these three young children all under the age of, I think, eight at the time. Uh, or just two of them. Uh, the, the other one was far too young. And have somebody bring them in, take them out of school, uh, 
have them go through this traumatic process of going into this courtroom, seeing the judge, seeing both parents at opposite sides of this giant room, uh, the judge high up on the bench being walked through with a bunch of strangers around them, being taken into a back room with, again, the two attorneys and the judge uh, surrounded by strangers. And the, the judge doesn't even do her job. She just sits there, makes small talk with them, talks to them about, uh, talks to them about their hair. And that is supposedly something that contributed to their custody uh, awarding decisions. Uh, I, so what is it more of the almost like the husband doesn't normally uh doesn't want the, to have the kids around so it's almost like almost like a cookie cutter type uh process of we're just going through the actions we know most cases the, the husband or the you know the father or whatever doesn't want the kids so we're just going to make this up for show or do you think the judge and everybody in court was just not having a good day feeling about this case <laughs> i mean <laughs> so uh i i had these same questions you know when i sat there in the courtroom and uh i had my attorney go in and speak with the judge and uh, my ex's attorney, they all sat down, had their backdoor meeting, and the judge basically said, you know, I'm not going to change anything. Mother's still going to have custody. You're all wasting my time. Uh, go tell dad to stop it so that the trial can end and everybody can go home. It was about lunchtime. <clears throat> and, and I'm not going to get into anything else about that here, but, you know, that, that was, that was the, the point at which she uh, offered us to end this trial early. Uh, I said, absolutely not. We're, we're here. We're waiting two years. We're gonna we're gonna finish this trial. And uh, you know, there's uh, there's some times in your life you could probably think of where you know maybe somebody died or something like that. And this was you know, one of those times because you're listening to somebody who has absolutely no interest in you or your family or your children dictate the next 15 years of my children's lives and really the rest of their lives because this outcome is gonna dictate that. And the, the, the coldness and the callousness with which that verdict was delivered uh, just blew me away. I, I, I was shaken to, to the core because I just couldn't understand how I can do, uh, uh, I'm not going to say I did absolutely everything right, but I did a lot of things right. And if you read the law, the law was on my side. And yet here I was uh, completely just blown away by the fact that a judge, somebody that's so esteemed, been a judge for over 20 years, and just shit all over it, completely ignore it, and just go with the status quo uh, with impunity. And uh, the, the answer to that is uh, very, very complex. And it's been about almost two years since this trial actually happened. And it's taken me about that long to really figure out exactly how this machine operates. Um, and the, the basics of it is that you're all paying for it. I paid for it. We're all paying for it because there's something called Title 4D. Uh, Title 4D is a, a section of the Social, Social Security Act that was passed in, uh, I believe, the 70s uh, by Gerald Ford. And there was a rider in there. And it was basically reinforcing Social Security, but there was a rider in there that says that the federal government would match the state's efforts on support collections actions 
<clears throat> up to, I think, 66 cents on the dollar. So if the state of New Jersey collects uh, you know, $100 billion, the federal government will match them $66 billion uh, to those offices, to those politicians, to those judges. And in America, money drives everything. And this is exactly why next Monday I'm going to be in front of this judge explaining why I can't pay $5,000 a month. Uh, hearing your side of the story, um, like, like you said earlier, you, know, you have your side, there's the wife's side, there's the truth that's probably somewhere in the middle. But from what I can gather, um, it definitely sounds like you absolutely want to have as much time with your children as possible. Um, right. So I went through a similar situation uh, when I was a child. I was eight, ten years old. My parents did not get along. Um, you know, they had my brother, myself, um, and eventually they, you know, they were not compatible with each other. Um, and I remember roughly, you know, talking to the judges and and, and the lawyers and whatnot. I think a lot of it I gets I probably repressed because. Uh, you know, at this point, this is 20, 25 years ago. Right. And um, to say my father didn't seem like he wanted to be there is kind of an understatement. So, you know, my mother had full custody and, um, you know, it seems like he was happy to go about his way of, you know, all right, I'm free of my children. Um, you know, and it, I, it definitely affected me, um, even like to this day. So... Um, recently, and this was at this point, um, a month, you know, six weeks ago, um, I heard that he was in the hospital and, you know, he just was not doing good. So, you know, normally I, I would think that someone would say that you know, your father wanted nothing to do with you. Um, good for him for, you know, being sickly, but I, uh, definitely could not do that. I had to go visit him at least once in the hospital. And, you know, even though we didn't have the, the best father-son relationship, um, I'm so glad that I went to go see him. It was super hard to get to the hospital and the whole way up the elevator and walking down the hall, I knew was going to be so uncomfortable, but I am still glad I, uh, I went and saw him before he passed, which was uh, no, a week or so ago at this point, or, yeah, not that long ago. So, um, wow. but yeah, it's, um, when you say it's going to affect your kids for the rest of their life, um, I, I can tell you it does. Um, but it might be, you know, be a different story that, you know, you apps from what I hear, you want to be with your kids. You want to spend time with them. I unfortunately didn't have that luxury. My, uh, you know, either my, my mother pushed him away and I saw nothing of him or um, I just never saw him. And one time he came to the house and all, uh, I, I saw some strange person come to the house. I said, Mom, there's some stranger at the front door. She goes, oh, that's your father. I'm like, oh, well, all right, then I guess dad's at the front door. So, oh, I'm, I'm really sorry to hear about your father. And uh, obviously, I, I don't really know you personally or your father. But yeah, in, in my time, I've, I've become fairly active with a lot of other fathers in my situation. And what I can tell you is there's a lot of fathers who are pushed to the point where they can't handle even being around their kids. The amount of hurt uh, and betrayal that 
comes from something like this, you can't describe it uh, until you, you've experienced it. And it takes absolutely everything in me to not get mad at my daughter, who's seven, uh, who, when I go to pick her up, says, I want to be with mommy. I don't want to go with you. Right. And I know why she's saying that, because I know that 15 minutes before I came to pick her up, mom says, oh, honey, you know, we were going to do a play date with such and such, but you have to go with your dad now. You know, and these, I, I don't, I'm not saying your mom did that. I have no way of knowing any of that. But as children, it is impossible to understand what is going on. And there's a lot of children that have grown up alienated from one parent. And it takes years of therapy to understand why uh, somebody would you know, abandon them because that's what it feels like. And I think a lot of these fathers don't abandon their kids. They abandon life. They, they, they can't stand to go through the motions. And, and I feel this every day, you know, going through the motions of working, uh, going to the same job that you remember coming home, your dogs would jump at you. You'd see your kid crying in the background and you'd be so happy to come home and see him. And then you go out and you throw the ball in your big backyard, pick your kid and pick him up. You know, mom's upstairs watching TV or whatever, pick him up and you go and, you know, you sit outside with them. They calm down after a while, you know, that I can't do that. Uh, now I go to work, I come home and luckily it's not empty, but it, it's, it, it's not where I should be. And uh, to get past all that emotions, if if I could afford the therapy, I would get it. <laughs> I can't afford to pay my therapist right now. Yeah, not if you have a five thousand dollar a month uh, payment that you have to shell out. You know, <laughs> right? Yeah. So uh, you know, and, and understanding all of this, and again, it's taking years to to really get to the bottom of it. I I went into this uh, back in early twenty seventeen when I finally understood what was going on in my marriage. And I sat down with an attorney who basically said, you know, it's really simple in this state. There's a formula that's used to calculate support. This is approximately what you would owe. Uh, custody is fairly straightforward. Uh, reduce the conflict and you shouldn't have an issue with shared custody. Uh, but in cases of conflict, they don't like to award uh, shared custody. So what do you think happened? Uh <laughs> So obviously you 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 probably weren't satisfied with that answer. Uh, so you decided to fight it. It would be my guess. Well, I mean, ultimately, what happens is it incentivizes people to create conflict. And the thing that damages children the most is not how much time they spend with each parent. It's the amount of conflict. So for somebody to go through, uh, who's now looking at it and going, do I want $1,000 a month in child support if we do shared custody? Or do I want $3,500 a month in child support if I take full custody and get rid of dad? When, when faced with that proposition, what invariably happens is conflict arises. And the second conflict arises, uh, the following people get rich. The attorneys, the, the attorneys, <laughs> Uh, every therapist that's involved in your case. So my co-parenting therapists were about 175 an hour or something like that, uh, that you're required to pay. Uh, the judge determines who is your therapist, mm. right? So in my county, there is two therapists that handle almost every divorce case. 
And if I wanted to be a therapist in this county, do you think they would just let me know? You got you to gotta know the right people for that judge to drop your name in the order. Uh, and this is kind of the, the machine that runs on these Title IV incentives, because what you end up having is a department who's entirely staffed by people that are handpicked by the department heads, the judges. It goes as far as the state Senate, because what you end up having is all of these attorneys. Our government is run by attorneys. So your regular attorney, they say maybe aren't doing too well. What they end up doing is they go to the state. They might know somebody, a friend of a friend, a professor from college that is a judge. That judge will then appoint them as uh, like a referee or a master or whatever the state calls them. And the judges, they got better things to do. They don't want to sit there and be involved in your divorce case or you know your custody trial. They don't want to do that. They want to try criminals. They want to get on the news so that they can run for another office or something. So they appoint these attorneys to then handle these cases. And then these guys then build up their resume of being involved in the state. And that is basically your pathway into getting some of the higher positions within county government and then eventually state government. This whole machine runs on family law money. This is where it's coming from. That department, the, the domestic relations departments, all get their funding from that 66% you know, matching. Uh, so if you're one of these attorneys and you become the master, say you even you know, get up to being a judge, and you have this couple where the father is making $100,000, the, the mother is maybe working uh, for, for much less, a waitress or stay-at-home mom, they're not going to give custody to the father. They're immediately going to go to the lower earning spouse, which is frequently the one that stays home. So in my case, did I work more? I did because I wanted my wife to stay home with the kids because of the cost of daycare at the time and she was working. And it wasn't because I didn't want to spend time with my, my children. I actually worked from home a lot. I actually saw them every single day. Every morning, I would get them up. At the end of the day, I would come home, feed them dinner. Uh, my wife, uh, at that time, uh, even though she was staying home, we had a full-time nanny to watch the kids while she was home. So it's this kind of situation where you go to court and everybody knows what the outcome is going to be, except you, because you don't understand how the system works. So you spend $25,000 on a trial, you wait two years for it. And then you're, after an hour and a half, you're sitting there wondering what the hell happened. And this is what it is. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you go into it, you know, hopefully, you know, you're hoping that all right, all the other cases, maybe they had bad representation or right. a bad case. My case will not come out that way because I'm a loving, caring parent. I provide for them. You know, I do everything that a father should. And then you get uh, raped at the end. I mean, <laughs> that, that's, it, that is exactly what it is because you, you think of what rape does. And, you know, my life was irreparably changed forever. Uh, before all this, I was fairly successful. My business was doing great. Uh, I had several employees. We had a good facility that was, that was, we were actually getting ready to get a bigger place because we were doing so well. And, uh, and then uh, all of that, I, I had to liquidate. I had to get rid of everything just to be able to pay uh, on all the debt that was in, in my name. Because she, we, she would transfer the balances back and forth. So we would get like a 0%. We had a foreclosure that we bought. 
Uh, so we're about 70,000 in the hole from doing a brand new kitchen, replacing a lot of the issues in the house. Uh, a lot of it was there in equity, but in my case, I got shafted with all the debt and she got to keep most of the equity. So basically for working uh, 20 years of my life, uh, you know, and, and plenty of work, uh, I ended up getting $20,000 uh, out of that divorce while she ended up getting over $100,000 in equity. Uh, didn't have to pay a cent on the debt and uh, I had to pay a portion of the, the business to her in the end, despite the fact that she never did anything in the business whatsoever. I, it's it's uh, sad, amazing. I don't know how you want to say it. How? Yes, yeah, I'm I'm sure there's more stories like this that are uh, exponentially worse. Um, and you know, for you know those people who are you know suffering, that's they don't really have a voice. Yeah, it's it's um, it's sad. I mean, I don't really know else how to say it. I mean, it's yep. It it's sad and. Th- I've had this conversation with, uh, I'm not working at the same place I I worked at at the time, but I've had this conversation as this whole thing was going with some of my coworkers. And it amazed me how many of them have been through something similar. Nobody talks about it. Everybody thinks that these are issues you keep to yourself, that that you you can't, you know, just reveal it. And uh, uh, once I got my new new job, I was talking to uh, the director there trying to explain my situation. And, and amazingly, he's like, oh, I understand. I had two of these ex-wives I had to pay off. You know, I get it. Just let me know, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so he was real understanding. I'm like, yeah, how, how is this? I'll say, you know, by the time you're 40, there's like a 30% chance you got divorce rate. It, it, is, it is that prevalent, but nobody talks about it. And in my case, the reason, you know, I'm not disclosing my identity is because of the fact that once family court gets wind of the fact that you've gone public, they immediately cut off your access to the children. They say that you're a danger to your children because now you're portraying their mother in a in a harsh light. Well, I'm not I'm not portraying anything. I'm just speaking out to what she did and what the court did. I mean, it's public record if you go and you know search, if you look under the name and the, the proceeding, it's all right there. No one's going to care to look. Uh, but you you can't speak up about it. There's there's other guys I know that have not seen their kids in 2 years. Uh, if not more, simply because of the fact that uh, the one guy, you know, he stood out there with a sign protesting that said, I haven't seen uh, or I, I pay something like 100% of my income and I'm a disabled veteran. Mm. And he pays it in child support. And he stands out there. Uh, his wife sees the picture, sends it to the to the judge. He hasn't seen his kids in two years. That's it. No criminal history. No nothing. It's uh, it's one of those secret clubs that nobody wants to be a part of, you know. It's but unfortunately, yeah, it's 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 apparently it's out there. Um, that's horrible. Um, so before we go on to any further, um, I want to remind everybody that you're. Hold up, I wrote it down. <laughs> 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 we got I, we got still talking, but it's uh, modern American slave uh, found with all podcasts are found. Uh, Nathaniel Smith, uh, I'm glad you shared your story with me. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I know that I had to take a lot out of you, and like I said, I, I appreciate you sharing. Uh, I, I, you know, I definitely hear there's there is definitely things that you obviously can't share for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, I'm, for what you shared, it's uh, I, I appreciate it. I mean, I, I don't, I can't stress that enough. Of uh, I know it had to been hard for you to share. Um, and, and I appreciate it. 
No, thanks. And I appreciate you taking the the time. You know, it, it's a it's a hard subject to discuss. And uh I think uh I, I think there's always doubt, you know, when you when you give this story, like there's gotta be something. There's gotta be something. And and this is why, like on the podcast, I actually went through the transcript. And when we have actors that are going through and going through the transcript word for word, I didn't want to inject anything into it. And uh, you know, that that's the hope to get a little traction so people understand that this is real. There's there's not not some gremlin hiding in the closet that's <laughs> going through all that. <laughs> yeah, I will uh, you know, for people that really want to know more about this, uh there's a few movies that you can get really easy access to, and they are legit. I mean, they're they're the movies that are uh well researched and documented. One of them is Divorce Corp. Uh, that goes into all the financial ties that all these uh, courts and, and agencies have. That one's an essential one to see. Uh, Erasing Families, uh, another one that just came out. You can watch it for free online. Uh, and this movie is basically a lot of these parents uh, and their children who you know, had these just awful things happen. But, but it, it gives you an idea as to what justifications are being used right now to erase a parent. Uh, and then the other one is uh, the Red Pill movie. I don't know if you had a chance to see that one. That one, I think, is on Amazon. And the filmmaker that made that movie started off as a feminist. And then towards the end, she had a, a substantial change of heart. Um, and not only is it a, uh, it's really a sincere production, but uh, uh, it kind of killed her career. <laughs> uh, she really hasn't been able to do a whole lot since because it basically blacklisted her from a lot of the outlets once she put that out so if you get some time definitely check those out yeah i mean that um if they're similar to your story or even if they're not those definitely sound like movies to to check out um so yeah well i'll get to looking at them and see uh see what they 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 look like you know they're less depressing i promise um <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah so um i think we're gonna we're gonna cut this episode here uh once again uh nate i want to thank you for being on the show and um uh, uh Thank you for sharing your story. Thanks for having me, Matt. All right, thank you. You have been listening to a That's Crazy Cast with Matt Hamity. I want to thank everyone who stayed this long to listen to what we had to say. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your friends. Now, if you didn't like the show, you can share that to the people you don't like as much. Feel free to send all questions and possible future topics to mhamityphoto at gmail.com. That's M-H-A-M-I-D-Y photo at gmail.com it may just end up on a future episode stay safe but keep the crazy coming see you next time everybody <laughs> <laughs>